Okay. Welcome. We are live. And uh, I want to share with you some amazing ideas on Passover, preparing for the upcoming holiday of Passover, and on this week's Torah portion, which is the very first Torah portion of the book of Leviticus, the third book in the Torah, Vayikra. And I want to talk a little bit about the themes of this week's Torah portion um, and the entire book of Leviticus, which deals primarily with the laws of the temple service of the Mishkan, the sanctuary, the work that was done by the Kohanim, the priests in the tabernacle. And what's really amazing about it is that the entire book is more or less devoted to animal sacrifices, the work that took place in the Mishkan. We finally finished the Mishkan at the end of last week's Parsha, conclusion of the book of Exodus, as we discussed. And now we are talking about what happens in the temple, and it's mostly animal sacrifices, which are so bizarre and strange to us in our time and in our minds. What What's it all about? How can we understand the purpose of the animal sacrifices in a way that's meaningful to us nowadays, that we can take a message that actually will help enhance our lives? So this Parsha is called Vayikra, which means literally a calling. And God calls to Moshe, to Moses, from the Holy of Holies, between the two Keruvim, between the two uh, cherubs that rested upon the top of the ark. And he commands him in, in sacrifices. But essentially, the sacrifices are connected to our response to God's calling by calling back to him. In fact, Talmud says that daily prayer services were instituted in place of the daily sacrifices, which we no longer have. So, babes, please be quiet. Shh. So the the Mishkan is actually called, the, the tabernacle is called the Ohel Moed, which means literally a tent of meeting. It's a meeting place where we connect to God. So how in the world is bringing animal sacrifices a means of connecting us to God? Now, I want to take a step uh, towards answering this by first talking about Passover. That's the holiday that's on everyone's mind. Whoever's cleaning for Passover knows that it's a big deal and we only have one week left next Friday night, we have to be all clean and ready for Pesach. So what is this, what's the focal point of Passover? You know, we talk a lot about matzah and chametz leaven products, which are cleaning our house of every crumb and speck of bread. We talk about the Seder, where we tell over the story of the Exodus, we drink four cups of wine, we eat uh, bitter herbs, moror, harosis. But at the end of the day, the star of the show is not really mentioned. We don't talk about it too much because we don't have it nowadays. The entire star of the show is the mitzvah of bringing a sacrificial lamb called the Paschal Lamb, the carbon Pesach, to the temple. Every single Jew was obligated to go to Jerusalem on the night of Passover and eat this lamb barbecue with their family or extended relatives. And it's it's such a big deal. And yet we don't even eat grilled meat this in, nowadays because no one should think that you're accident that you're actually bringing a sacrifice because we're not allowed to do it without a temple. But what's the big deal with this Paschal lamb? Why is it so important in all of Judaism, not only in Passover, but in all of Judaism? There are 613 laws in the Torah, mitzvahs, and roughly half of those are positive things. There are 248 positive things we have to do, like uh, uh, putting on tefillin, keeping kosher, um, making... Uh, uh, 
what are positive things? Prayer, positive things that we do for God, so to speak. And then there are 365 don't do's. And those are things thou shalt not, right? Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not speak badly about other people. Okay. Now, and there is a corporal punishment system in the Torah that there are punishments for going against the things you shouldn't do. Person steals, there's a punishment, right? But for positive things, there's no punishment. Those are opportunities to do something for God, but there's no punishment if you don't do those things. But, but for two positive mitzvahs, there are two positive mitzvahs in the Torah where there is indeed a punishment. And that is one of them is circumcision. Person refuses to get circumcised. There is a spiritual punishment that their uh, their soul is disconnected in some way from the from the Jewish people. Something that can be fixed. But the second one is the if a person does not eat the Passover lamb, and if they're able to and they don't do it, their soul is disconnected in some way from the Jewish people. So why is this number? One of the top two positive mitzvahs in the Torah. What is the big deal? Okay, so let's let's try to uh, answer some of these questions together, and I hope that we can all learn something that that will be positive for us in our own lives and our own spiritual growth. And I think this is radical and really really powerful stuff that I've been really thinking about the past few days. So the in fact, it's important to mention that the two number one things that are mentioned in the Torah more than anything else, the number one sin that's mentioned in the Torah over and over and over again is not to worship idols. Now, again, we don't relate to that one either. We don't have idols today. What's the big deal? Why is that mentioned so many times? And number two, like, would you ever have an inclination to worship a statue and think that that's God? Very strange question. Why is it mentioned so many times? And the other thing that's mentioned over and over again, not necessarily a mitzvah per se, it is a mitzvah, but again and again and again, mentioned over and over and over again is to remember the exodus from Egypt. Every So many mitzvahs that we do to fill in Shabbos, um, dozens of times, mitzvahs we do are remembrance, all the holidays are remembrance of the exodus from Egypt. Why are those two things so emphasized? So let's begin our discussion by trying to understand what the big deal is with animal sacrifices. So we have two different approaches in the uh, in the traditional commentaries on the Torah. First is Maimonides, Rambam, who was a rationalist who lived in Spain and Egypt about a thousand years ago. And Maimonides says that the nations of the world worshipped idols and they also worshipped animals. And many of the idols were in the shape of animals. Primarily, he says, lambs, goats, and cows. He says, even in India until today, and he was writing a thousand years ago, they refused to eat cows because they are divine. They are holy, considered holy. And he said, therefore, one of the reasons why we sacrifice animals is to show that we don't believe that those that animals or those the, the gods that are in the form of animals have any power. That's what Maimonides says. Another thing he says, which is quite radical, is that the whole purpose of sacrifices for Jews was to teach us, to wean us off of a practice that existed all over the world, which was human sacrifices, and that we don't do human sacrifices. That was one of the main things that Abraham came to eradicate when, with, his, with his newfound ideology. Um, 
And therefore, we're weaning ourselves off of a custom. So it could be that according to Maimonides, it's not something that we will continue to do in the future. But I'm not sure if that's actually the, the conclusion that, he, that, that, that one has to bring his writings to. But it, there, is, there is an idea like that. Um, so perhaps, perhaps. But the main point that Maimonides says is to distance ourselves from idolatry. And we're going to, in a few minutes, talk about idolatry and what the big deal is about that and how it is very relevant to us today. The Ra Ramban, not, that was the Rambam. Now we're going to talk about the Ramban with an N, Nachmanides, who lived a little bit after Maimonides, who lived in Spain and was uh, much less into philosophy as Maimonides was very influenced by philosophical, rational schools of thought. Nachmanides was a Kabbalist, was a mystic, and also a, an authoritative commentary on the Torah. So Nachmanides says, on the contrary, the purpose of animal sacrifices was that when we do something that is wrong, we do some sort of a our, our sin, we disconnect from God. So what's pulling us away from God is our body, our animal soul. Our bodies are essentially no different than animals' bodies. We are driven by our bodily urges to disconnect from spirituality. Essentially, our bodies want all all our bodies want is to serve themselves. Our bodies care about their own immediate selfish needs. That's what our bodies want. Survival of the fittest. I want what I want and I want it now. So what is interesting to note that the says says Nachmanides, the Torah calls animal sacrifices a reach nichoyach lashem, a beautiful scent to God. The word sacrifice in Hebrew, in Hebrew is carbon, which means literally closeness, to bring close. There's something about this animal sacrifice that's bringing us closer to God. So it says Nachmanis, what we're essentially doing is we're offering up our animalistic drives. We're saying the animal within me caused me to sin and I should really be giving up my own life on that altar, but instead I'm giving up my animal nature. I'm bringing that up to you, God, because I recognize that that's what's disconnecting me to spirituality is that my body and my soul want completely different things. So that is Nachmanides' approach. So now when we talk about the Paschal Lamb and Pesach, carbon Pesach, the uh, the holiday of Pesach is very interesting. The Torah begins, and we talked about this last week in our podcast, that the Torah begins the introduction to the holiday of Passover and the Exodus with the first mitzvah, the first commandment given to the Jewish people in Egypt, which was HaChodesh HaZelechem, the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh, counting the new moon. We have a mitzvah that when the moon appears, now the lunar, uh, lunar month is 29 and a half days, which means that the new moon can either be spotted on the 30th or 31st day of the cycle. And so in order for the month to be declared, according to Jewish law, the first mitzvah is that Witnesses have to come and spot the new moon. When the new moon is spotted, then then we start counting the calendar cycle. So it's it's a we follow a lunar essentially a lunar calendar, um, very similar to the Muslims, except the Muslims follow a purely lunar calendar. The Jewish calendar is not purely lunar. Unexplained why. So our our calendar is based on sighting by people, witnesses who come to Jerusalem and declare the new moon because it's changes depending on when the new moon is actually sighted because it can be seen at different times. So um, 
nowadays we have a fixed calendar. But back in the day when we had a temple, it was based on the site. Uh, when we had a high court, it was based on sighting by people. So that's one interesting point is that it's human, that we have the ability to interact with the calendar. It's not set and fixed. But uh, the Jewish calendar is not only lunar, it's also tempered by a solar calendar. We have a combination, whereas the Western Christian calendar, the Gregorian calendar is completely solar. It's, uh, it's based on the 365 days of the year, which is a, a set cycle, right? Um, uh, the, nothing essentially changes every 365 years. It's not something that you can tangibly note, but those, the cycle of 365 is very notable by the changes in the constellations and the stars and the rotation of the, the revolution of the, the earth around the sun. So that's a fixed calendar. The months in the Western calendar are completely arbitrary. They don't correspond with the cycles of the moon. They're based on Judaism on a, on a lunar calendar that we're just kind of stuck in to a solar calendar. But the two don't exactly fit because the lunar calendar, lunar months are 29 and a half days. So every lunar month is either 29 days or 30 days. So that means that, I'm sorry, is either 30 days or 31 days. So that means that a lunar year, and it usually it alternates that six months are, are 30 and six months are 31. A lunar year is 200 and 354 days. A solar year is 365 days. So there's a discrepancy. So what happens is if you follow purely Muslim calendar, then every uh, 10, every year, the Muslim month is one month or one, 10 days earlier. And that means that at, I'm sorry, uh, 11 days earlier. And that means that every three years, it's a month earlier. So every, uh, every three, six, nine, every 12 years, Ramadan will be in a completely different season of the solar year. So that's the Muslim calendar. It's purely lunar. But the Jewish calendar is not purely lunar because the Torah calls Passover the festival of springtime. That means that the month of Nisan, which we're in right now, which is the first month of a Jewish calendar, has to always fall out in the spring, which means that we add a leap month every few years in order to keep, we add an additional month of Adar in order to make sure that Passover always falls out in the spring. Okay, but why is this a prerequisite for the Passover uh, lamb? sacrifice and the exodus of Egypt. Why is the first mitzvah given to us the mitzvah of sanctifying the new moon? So according to uh, the, the, the Jewish mystics, there are really two types of time. And, and we have it in our Jewish calendar. We have a lunar, we have a monthly calendar, which starts in the month of Nisan. We also have a solar calendar, a year calendar, which starts in the month of Tishrei, Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the new year for years. And Rosh Chodesh Nisan is the new year for months. So essentially, there are two types of time. There's the time of the sun, and there's the time of the moon. The sun in Hebrew represents the year. The year in Hebrew, Shana, the word Shana means to repetition. The sun is something that is constant. It continues, it rises and sets every single day, although there's slight changes in the time. It does affect seasons, but those are very spread out and very gradual. But essentially, the solar year is unchanging. Every year, 365 days to that day, the year begins again. But there's nothing new that's noticed. It essentially represents the world of nature, the world of natural order and laws. The moon, on the other hand, represents something that is constantly changing. The moon represents the world of spirituality, the world of freshness and newness. The word chodesh, which means moon, in Hebrew is the same word as chadash, which means newness. And the Egyptians worshipped the sun. 
essentially they worship the world of nature, the world of nature, which is dominated by animals and by natural laws and by stars and constellations. That was the world ideology of the Egyptians. As it says in Ecclesiastes, by, written by King Solomon, there's nothing new under the sun. And that's the world of nature. But above the sun, in the world of the supernatural, in the world of super spirituality, everything is new. And that is represented by the moon. So in our process of breaking out of slavery, the very first mitzvah we got was the mitzvah of newness. Rule number one is to connect to the possibility of having a fresh start. Don't let your past define you. You know, the, there are two types of slavery. There's slavery of the body. That's not true slavery. True slavery is slavery of the mind. When you lose your ability to think freely, your ability to break out of your old habits and your old modes of being, then you're truly safe. Viktor Frankl, famous psychologist, psychiatrist, and the Holocaust victim in Auschwitz, discovered that the following line says that they can take away everything from you in Auschwitz. But the one thing they couldn't take away was the last true human freedom, the freedom to choose your attitude, freedom of the mind. That can very rarely be taken away. The problem is that we, we take it away from ourselves every day by becoming victims to our past, by letting our past traumas and experiences define our future. So rule number one in breaking out of slavery, breaking out of Egypt is recognizing that you're not bound by nature. You're not bound by the past. You're not, you're not bound by the way others define you. You can define yourself. You can break free. Once you realize that, there's one more thing holding us back, and that's our future, our fate, our destiny. Do we believe as Jews? Do we believe in destiny? Do we believe in fate? Do we believe in constellations and zodiac signs? And the answer is, according to the majority of rabbinic authorities throughout time, the answer is yes, we do. The word mazal, mazalos, refers to constellations. The word mazal refers to constellations. Some translate it as luck when we say mazal tov. That's not really what it means. On the contrary, mazal, the word mazal comes from the Hebrew word zol, which means to flow. According to uh, Jewish philosophy and Rambam says this clearly, although he himself was a, was a, was, does not really believe that uh, we have the ability to interpret the zodiac, but he himself says that the idolatry began thousands of years ago when people who understood that there was one creator understood that there's one God, but they said, who are we to connect to the creator and the, the source of everything? Instead, let's connect through his intermediaries through the stars that he put into power to bring spirituality into this world. Let's connect to them. And eventually they started worshiping the stars and forgot about God. So essentially the stars are intermediaries. They bring energy into this world through the constellations and the zodiac signs. So when we say mazel tov to someone, what we're really saying is good flow. We see that the that the, the source of blessing is flowing through you. In a sense, your stars are aligned. But as Jews, we don't really believe that we're bound by the constellations. See, there are there are 12 constellations, one for each month of the year in the zodiac. 
Um, what's the significance of the number 12? So we've spoken about just last week about the number seven in Judaism. Shabbos is the seventh day. Six days of the week represent six facets of the physical reality, right? A cube is often used in Kabbalah to represent the, the physical world of three dimensions. A cube has six sides. And the seventh dimension is the inner space that ties it all together. That's Shabbos. That's essentially the soul of the world. So if you break down that cube into the, the lines that make it up, you get 12 distinct lines. 12 represents the breakdown one into further uh, the further root of this three-dimensional world of the physical reality is broken down into three distinct lines, three sources of energy that bring reality into existence. And those are the 12 signs of the zodiac. The 13th dimension is what ties those all together. It's the inner space. So 7 and 13 are connected in Judaism. And again, they represent the soul or the spiritual unity. The number 13 in Judaism is the number of oneness. The word echad, which means oneness, is the numerical value 13. The word ahava, which means love, is the numerical value of 13. 13 is that which ties together the 12 disparate sources of energy of this world. So as opposed to those who feel believe in idolatry and which is essentially connecting to the natural sources of energy in this world, but tapping them in to your own needs. That's the idea of idolatry is I see that there's energy coming to this world to the stars. I'm going to connect directly to that star in order to shape my outcome for what I want. That's the idea of magic, connecting to angels or spiritual powers, again, usually through the stars. That's what idolatry was essentially trying to do. It was to tap into the spiritual reality of nature and utilize it for my own needs. As opposed to asking what I can do for God, it's asking what God can do for me. Idolatry puts man as the source and the measure of all outcomes. It's what is good for me that's motivating me. And I'm going to utilize the natural powers that exist in a supernatural way to affect the outcome I want. Idolatry is essentially putting me first, our bodies. And along with putting my bodily needs at the forefront, along with that came the worship of animals or idols that were shaped in human form. Essentially, idolatry is about self-worship. I'm in charge. What I want is what matters. So says the Ramban, the very first mitzvah given to the Jewish people after sanctifying the moon was to take a lamb, the, the paschal lamb, and to sacrifice it. Why the lamb? So the Ramban explains that the Egyptians worshipped many different gods, but their number one god was the sheep. Why? Because the lamb, the ram, Ares, Ares is the first constellation in the zodiac. And Therefore, it was the first primary god that the Egyptians worshipped. And the month of Aries is right now, corresponds to the Hebrew month of Nisan, which we're in right now, March and April. So this sign was told, we were told to sacrifice this lamb on the full moon, the 15th of the month, which is a time when the constellation has the most power to show that we are not bound by constellations. There's a term in the Talmud that says, Ein mazal Yisro, the Jewish people are not bound by, by constellations, by the zodiac. Why? Because if you live a natural life, 
then your future your, and your DNA and your nature is determined by your constellations. But if you live a supernatural life, if you transcend your nature, so then you are not bound by your zodiac. You have the ability to break free. That's why, as Jews, we are condoned, conjured not to go into the future, not to follow signs and superstitions, not to learn about our zodiac and figure out what our destiny is, instead to realize that we can shape our own destiny, to trust in God by and do what we're to do what's right, to work on ourselves and recognize that whatever happens is for the good. It's not about what I want out of life. It's about what I can do, what my responsibilities are, what my obligations are. So the word Pesach literally means to jump. God jumped over the houses of the Jewish people who put the blood on the land, on the doorposts, the blood of the sheep. But literally what it means is to jump out of your nature. And it's no coincidence that springtime is a time of rejuvenation, a time of freshness. It's a time, and it's called literally spring, because at the time that you can jump, you can spring out of your the ways that that you're stuck in the past, the things that that bind you, the spiritual slavery. So essentially, the moon and the Paschal Lamb are two sides of the same kind. As the Rambam, as the as the Rambam explains that the goal of idolatry, Ramban, is to separate ourselves from physicality, our animal nature, which separates us from spirituality, and to slaughter that. And that's literally the purpose of animal sacrifices. It's an opportunity to come close to God by giving up what our bodies want, by giving up what's physically, monetarily valuable. Right? Animals were the currency. That was like your car. And by realizing that we need to slaughter our selfish desires every single time, and we come across this every day on a regular basis, a battle between our soul and our body. When your alarm goes off in the morning, and your soul says, time to get up and live a meaningful life and to do great things and take care of all sorts of wonderful opportunities to be responsible, your body says, no, I'm hitting snooze. That's a battle between your animal nature and your spiritual nature. Every time you're uh, sitting down and you've, you, you, you have a piece of cake in front of you and you've already eaten three and your soul says, you know, that's enough. I think I'm done now. I don't want to be a glutton. Uh, I know it's not good for my diet. And your body says, no, just one more, right? Every time we come up against that battle between what's right, what's going to make us greater, what's going to put others at the focus, learn how to focus on caring and giving and sharing and growing versus what's comfortable and selfishly beneficial. That's the battle that we face every single day. Uh, when I'm in synagogue this morning, there was an older gentleman who come, came around collecting for sadaqa for charity and my you know i've committed to give a certain amount every day and my soul said gotta give to him my body said no way this is my money i worked for this i'm not giving i'm not sharing that's the battle that we face every single moment of our life it's it's an ongoing battle and the message of idolatry of animal sacrifices is to slaughter that part of us that wants us to be a god that's turning us into an idol. Literally, I'm in charge of the world. I'm the center of reality. We make ourselves into gods. We have to slaughter that animal part that thinks that we are the measure of all things. We're not the center of the universe. In fact, the earth and the planets revolve around the sun. That's the sun reality. That's the world of nature. The moon, on the other hand, revolves around the earth. 
the moon reflects the sun's light. The moon's message is I am not the focus of all things. My job is to share with others. My job is to focus on others. I'm revolving. The world doesn't revolve me. I revolve around the world. I'm not the source of all. The Talmud says that anger is akin to idolatry. Why? Because when I get angry, I'm essentially saying the world should work the way I want it to work. I'm in charge. When we get jealous of others, we're saying, I deserve what things that I don't have. On the contrary, we have exactly what we need. That's what spirituality says. So you ever hear someone say, you know, that's just the way I am. I'm, I'm, I'm a lazy person. I'm an angry person. I have trauma and pain. I deserve to be the way that I am. I'm not going to change that. I want to have a negative attitude. I should have a negative head. I can't break free. I'm stuck in the past to my traumas and to my addictions and to my bad habits and my negative thought patterns, negative relationships. The message of Passover is that nothing can stop you. You can change at any moment. Don't let the past define you. That's the message of the new, the moon. You can renew yourself. You can start over fresh. Don't let the past define your future. And the message of the Paschal Lamb is slaughter the idol that thinks that you're in charge, the animal that pulls you away from what's true and what's right and connect to true freedom. And again, the Torah again and again and again mentions not to worship idols and to remember the exodus of Egypt for these two reasons, to realize that we can break free and achieve true freedom, not freedom from physical slavery alone, but from the bondage of our minds that keep us from living according to our true potential. Thank you for listening. I want to wish you all a beautiful Shabbos and a beautiful upcoming kosher and happy Chag Kosher for Sameach Passover uh, next, next uh, Saturday night. Thank you so much for listening.